This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Here you go. Here you go. Game seven. That's the nothing personal word of the day. It is Monday, October 23rd, 2023, 10-23-23. Game seven are my two favorite words. It's the best game. Best game I was ever a part of in the postseason, knowing that you are one game away of going home or winning the pennant. This isn't just your ordinary average game seven. It's the league championship series, the series that was needed to go seven games by Major League Baseball. We're talking about the Houston Astros and the Texas Rangers. And this weekend was full of drama. And we're going to get to all of it starting now. I don't want to wait one second. I've been dying. I was away. Coca was doing Coca things. Do we do a pod during the weekend? Because you have to talk about the fight that took place in game five. Benches clearing brawl. Adelise Garcia gets hit by Abreu. Everyone's losing their minds. Nah, we waited till Monday. So let me tell you what's happening. Let me start with something that's not being talked about enough. When there is an incident on site, this is a side note, Coke, I'm totally sorry. Every postseason game, the commissioner assigns people from the commissioner's office, representatives of the commissioner to be at the games. The commissioner goes to the games, he switches off and he'll be everywhere. It, during a doubleheader today, as an example, he can't be at both. He'll choose one. He'll go to the game seven, Astros, Rangers. And the people in the commissioner's office, their job, they meet with the umpires before the game. They meet with the opposing managers during the game. They're on the field. They're dealing with field conditions. They're dealing with the home team's in-game entertainment department. They're in the party hosting platform where if there's parties going on or if there's any VIPs, there's people controlling the suites and who the guests are. And then they're coordinating with Fox or whichever channel has it, Turner, about where the celebrities are sitting. It's just a lot of things going on at a postseason game. When there is an incident on field, there is like an emergency response system. The emergency response system is headed by Mike Hill, the former president of baseball operations, for on-field issues. He's the one who hands out the discipline 
when there is a player involved in an ejection. He is the one who deals with the umpires pre and post game. But he works in conjunction with people who he works for, which would be Dan Hallam, the deputy commissioner, and Rob Manford, the commissioner. So we're watching a game on Friday, and it was a critical game five in Texas in a series where the home team had not won a game. The Rangers won the first two in Houston. Houston won the first two in Texas. And now it was a best of three with one game in Texas and two games in Houston. Well, that's all Texas. I should say Arlington with one game in Arlington and two in Houston. The game is proceeding. It's a rematch of game one. You've got Montgomery. You've got Verlander. Yada, yada. We get to a point in the game when Abreu is pitching to Garcia. Garcia hits a three-run home run in his prior at-bat. The Rangers have a lead at home in a game five to take a 3-2 lead in the series. Next up, Garcia takes his bat, goes to the plate, and Abreu, their eighth inning, unbelievable command, which means he doesn't hit a lot of guys. Abreu hits Garcia with a pitch. Garcia has words with the catcher, Maldonado. There's some history between the Rangers and the Astros. And before you know it, the bullpens are doing what drives me crazy. And I tried to get the rule changed. And I, I'm going to say it one final time and hope I never have to say it again. It should be an automatic ejection if anybody leaves a bullpen. The players don't allow it. The union doesn't allow it because in bargaining, the players union says the the players, they want to help their teammates. They don't want to look like they are not interested in supporting. So they run in from the bullpen just to be there when there is a kerfuffle. I don't like it because they're running in from the bullpen side by side, not arguing, and then they get to where the argument's happening on the field, and then it could get heightened. My two suggestions were either have them fight in the bullpen or have them stay in the bullpen. Like the NBA, you leave the bench, you're automatically ejected. So the bench is clear. A lot of stuff is happening, and after any benches clearing brawl, although no punches were thrown. The rule is the umpires get together. It's not an instant replay issue unless they ask for it to see if anybody hit anybody. But the umpires get together and they decide on the ejections. They decided they were going to eject Abreu. So Brian Abreu is out of the game. And then Dusty Baker is arguing and then he gets tossed. Because as a manager, when your player's ejected, when your player shouldn't have been ejected because there's no way Abreu was throwing at Garcia, that is what the umpires thought, and that's why they ejected Abreu. In that game, the Astros were down two runs. There was already a man on first and no outs. By hitting Abreu on, person, in, on purpose, you're putting two men on, no out, and you're down two runs. It's absurd. 
There is no scenario under which Brian Abreu was throwing at Adelise Garcia. None. What a great way to mask it. When you know it's the situation that you wouldn't do it, you can throw at a guy and not get in trouble. That's what the umpires were thinking. That's what Major League Baseball was thinking. Dusty Baker made it clear to the umpires what a bunch of horse hockey it was. They're trying to win a pennant, win a World Series, keep a dynasty going. There's plenty of time to hit Garcia for pimping the home run, which is exactly what he did. He slammed the bat down. He stomped on home plate, carried the bat halfway to first. I'm not the fun police. Have at it, but know you're going to get hit. But you get hit, do it next year. Do it during spring training. They don't play spring training. Do it during the regular season. No problem. You do not do it during the postseason, especially down two runs. So Dusty Baker argues that point. He loses the argument. He gets ejected, but he doesn't leave the field. He goes back to 4869. Dusty Baker gets ejected. He doesn't go into the clubhouse. He leaves the field and sits in the dugout like a child who doesn't want to eat his broccoli sprouts. God, that would have been so much better if I'd said Brussels sprouts. That's my second 69. <laughs> How was your weekend? 4869. Like a child who doesn't want to eat his Brussels sprouts. Dusty Baker has his arms crossed and he's sitting there. And minute passes, then another minute passes. Then the umpire has to go to the dugout and say, Dusty, get out of here. And Dusty argues a little bit, sits there. And then finally, after an 11 minute delay, Ryan Presley warms up and you get as much time as you want when the pitcher gets ejected or the pitcher gets hurt. Ryan Presley takes his time. You know very well that a closer can get ready in eight pitches. Ryan Presley takes his time. And then he gets out of it. First and second no outs, he gets out of it. And then the rest is history because guess what Altuve did to Leclerc the next half inning? A three-run home run, Astros win game five. Bruce Bochy in the post game was furious. Thought it was a load of crap what Dusty Baker had done. And let me tell you, that was great gamesmanship by Baker. If I had been the president of the Rangers, I would have run down to the dugout and yelled, get going, get this game going, because I know I've got my pitcher who's getting cold. And he doesn't like sitting. No closers like sitting in between innings. So cut to the game ends. The Astros win. They sweep in Arlington as we told you they would. They're up 3-2. They're going back home. And last night was game six. We got a great game. Framber Valdez, a co-ace, ready to go, except he's been stinky. And he was great last night. Two bad pitches. Two bad pitches. I don't like the narrative when a guy gives up three runs, oh, you stink. No, he literally had two bad pitches, and the Rangers took advantage of him. They're up three runs. The Astros aren't able to muster much offense against Nathan Eovaldi. Yes, the former Marlin. Yes, the postseason hero. He will go down in history as one of the top postseason pitchers of all time. Nobody thought that. Who would have thought that? Totally crazy. So last night, the game is happening. Garcia, strikeout, trying to hit a home run. Strikeout, trying to hit a home run. Strikeout, trying to hit a home run. And then Abreu is facing Garcia. 
a rematch of the Game 5 issue. Garcia tries to hit the ball 800 feet. And when you try to hit the ball 800 feet, you're going to strike out. Now, why was Abreu pitching? Brian Abreu got suspended for two games by Major League Baseball in what is one of the great over-suspensions ever. They will argue privately if you look back at regular season when you purposely throw at somebody, you're going to get three games. Then you'll suspend it and it can go down to two games. We've done wait to seize on that. We've told you how that works when you appeal a suspension. You suspend a hitter six, you knock it down to five. You suspend a pitcher three, you knock it down to two. But you've got to take the situation into account. The NBA, I wouldn't want to mention they open tomorrow. We'll have our NBA predictions tomorrow. I, I use the Heat Knicks as my bellwether, as my North Star for the impact that suspensions can have on a playoff series. If you remember the brawl that happened, I don't remember the year, Coca, between the Knicks and the Heat, tons of suspensions because everybody left the bench and they couldn't suspend everyone at once. So a group of players were suspended for game six and another group for a game seven, if there were to be one and there was one, and the Knicks end up losing the series or they won the series. Wow, I'm old and can't remember. But the point is, you take it very seriously when you suspend somebody in the back end of a playoff series. The way it works is that if there is a rule where there is nothing to interpret, then I'm good. The NBA has a very easy rule. If you leave the bench, you get suspended. No ifs, ands, or buts. I'm totally fine. Baseball doesn't have that rule. It's all subjective. Suspending Abreu for two games, that's subjective. And when you get suspended, you have the right to appeal. And when you appeal, you have the right to play while the appeal is being heard. In the regular season, that could be a week later. It could be a month later. In the postseason, the rule in the collective bargaining agreement is that any appeal by the players union, and that's who appeals on behalf of Abreu, that has to be heard in a timely manner. That means you get an arbitrator, you know who the arbitrator is, and then it's heard. So the Astros get their front office together and they decide when should Abreu file an appeal. You have until the next game to decide. When he was suspended for two games, he would miss game six and game seven, or if the Astros had one game six, game six and World Series game one. If you file the appeal, you then get to pitch in game six, and when they hear the appeal, which they would hear immediately, and you get it down to one game, you have to serve it immediately, you can't delay, and then he would miss game seven. So Dusty Baker pitches Abreu one inning in game six, but why not two innings? If you know he's going to be gone for game seven, or if the Astros had won the game, he'll be gone for game one of the World Series. Why wasn't Abreu going two innings yesterday? Knowing he wouldn't be able to pitch today because they knew that his hearing was today? I have a thought on why. Because they're going to have the hearing today but there is nothing in the collective bargaining agreement that says that the result of the hearing 
must be announced on the day of the hearing. If the hearing has taken place, but there's been no ruling, Abreu or whoever is suspended is available to play. So what's going to happen today is there'll be a hearing where Abreu's suspension will be moved from two games to one game. However, they will not announce any result today, thereby making Abreu available for game seven, therefore informing Dusty Baker not to pitch him two innings in game six. That's the only logical explanation I have for why Abreu didn't go two innings. Houston is a very smart front office. So Abreu will be available for game seven. Then in between game seven and game one of the World Series, which is not until Friday. So the American League will have a champion tonight and they will have three days off before game one of the World Series. That's when you announce the result of the suspension. If Houston loses tonight, he serves it game one next year, opening day. If the Astros win tonight, he's not available for game one of the World Series. Abreu pitches tonight in game seven, and then he's off Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and will be available for game two on Saturday. It's fascinating, all the things that are going on and here we are getting ready for this game seven, where New York Mets pitcher Max Scherzer will be taking on Houston's Christian Javier. Max Scherzer, who is an absolute bulldog in game sevens. He's got a 3-1 record in elimination games, winner-take-all games. Not elimination games, winner-take-alls, like a game five in the division series or a game seven in the LCS or World Series. That's a good record. Irrelevant. I don't even know I wasted your time with that stat. Irrelevant because it's not the Max Scherzer from his Dodger days, from his National days, from his Tiger days, from his Mets days. This is Max Scherzer from, I have a shoulder injury. I missed a month. I had a start in game three and I got lit up for five runs because I'm a number five or number six starter going against Christian Javier, who's a game three starter, except he's pitching more like a one or a two. So who's got the advantage in game seven? That seems fairly obvious. Home teams win game seven. It's a runaway. Except not in baseball. I've got a stat for you that Coca gave me that absolutely blew my mind. Home teams, that means teams playing at home, not teams batting last. So forget 2020. Home teams are 62 and 63 in winner-take-all games. I had them check it four times. Home teams are below 500 in baseball. In basketball, I think in game seven, home teams are like having 800 winning percentage. At least that's what it was like in the 90s and 2000s. So there's a home disadvantage practically in baseball. And in this ALCS, a home team has not won a game yet. So what do you do when you're Houston preparing for this game? You're a terrible home team over the last month. 
You can't win at home in this series. I have a thought. Did you know that you can choose your batting practice time when you're the home team? Did you know that you can choose whether to have batting practice? You can choose everything other than where you hit. You've got to hit last in the bottom of the first when you're at home. If I'm running Houston, I am making this like a road game. And I would have prepared for this. Never been done, but this is what's in my crazy head. I want the Astros staying in a hotel in Houston. I don't want them in their own beds. I don't want them in the routine with their family, with their children, with their loved ones. I want them in a hotel together. I want to have a bus go to Minute Maid the way the buses go to the stadium in Arlington. I want the players to act as though they are on the road in every way. Because there's something about the Astros on the road, not just this postseason, but all season. Best road team in baseball. Mediocre home team. And there's a winner-take-all game. And if you asked the Astros, they would rather have traveled back to Arlington. That sort of thought process, Dusty Baker has to get rid of. Their entire dynasty depends on winning this game tonight. I've told you I think the Astros are a dynasty, even if they lose. But that said, winning game seven, that's where it's at. So guess what's going to happen? I'm going to give you my pick right now for Astros Rangers game seven. Jordan Alvarez is the MVP of the series. Christian Javier, Christian Javier will get himself into the sixth inning. Presley will go multiple and the Astros will win game seven. The Texas Rangers will hand Bruce Bochy his first loss in a winner-take-all postseason game. Of course, he was with San Francisco. He won three titles, 10, 12, and 14. Of course, he's going to be undefeated. It's going to be a hell of a game. I hope you're watching. The other game today is Phillies against Diamondbacks. If you didn't pay attention during the weekend, there's an actual game six in a series that was supposed to be a sweep in a series then that was going to end in five that I predicted would end in five. And guess what? The Diamondbacks tied it up and there was a game five where Schwarber and JT and Harper homered and Philly, their offense, got it done. They've got two aces at the top of their lineup with Wheeler and Nola. Schwarber is setting records for postseason home runs passes Reggie Jackson for the most home runs by a lefty. Just unbelievable offensive stuff from the Philadelphia Phillies. They have a chance to win the pennant and clinch a World Series rematch if the Phillies win and the Astros win tonight. Both of which I think are going to happen. The Diamondbacks have put up one hell of a fight. They're fun to watch. Hopefully you've gotten to know them a little bit better. Merrill Kelly, good. Aaron Nola, great. Free agent. Steve Cohn, if he were smart, is signing Aaron Nola if he can't get Otani or even get both. Aaron Nola is going to ask for a big contract in free agency. We'll have plenty of time to talk about what he's going to get. But after a mediocre regular season, every owner forgets about it because they're all watching the postseason. They're not watching the Phillies play during the regular season. And they're looking and saying, hey, GM, get Nola. This is a big time player. 
So Nola's going to win it for the Phillies. Javier's going to win it for the Astros. You got yourself two picks. Those are official picks. I had a third official pick over the weekend. We had the Astros beating the Rangers Friday. We got that. We had the Phillies clinching the series Friday. We didn't quite get that. And then last night, we had the Eagles over the Dolphins. All of my Miami fans, and you're there because we see the numbers. I'm sorry to have picked against the Dolphins, but I also will have you acknowledge that while the Dolphins are historic offensively, really good defensively, they have a really hard schedule, and they're not really beating really good teams. So we had the Eagles winning, and they did. We're up to 153 and 151, and you got my picks for today. Phillies win, Astros win. Okay, let's take a break. When we come back, I'm going to review a movie that I had never heard of. I came across, and I think it is a quiet pleasure that you will enjoy. Enjoy. And then one of you asked a question that we're going to answer. Michigan State was back in the news this weekend. And in a weekend full of news, I just wanted to point out a few things that are not being told correctly to you about in-game entertainment and Michigan State. Keep it right here. We'll be right back. The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. Through the first round of the NBA playoffs, it's still all about the Celtics and the Nuggets. Will it be a likely matchup between the two powerhouses for the NBA championship? You can bet on the Celtics to beat the Nuggets at plus 400, or the Nuggets to beat the Celtics at plus 425, right now. And if you're new to DraftKings, you gotta check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SAMSON. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SAMSON. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Quentin, Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. There is no reason in the world to say keep it right here. Because where are you going to go during a commercial? You just fast forward, I guess. It's David Sampson. Welcome back. It is Monday, October 23rd. Matthew Koch and I, every day, 8 a.m. live on the Nothing Personal with David Sampson YouTube channel. I had myself a weekend. I don't want to talk much about it because there's too much to get to. But if you live anywhere near Vegas or have the ability to stop in Vegas or skydive into Vegas while you're flying over because you dress in an Elvis suit and you happen to find Nicolas Cage in a plane with the flying Elvises, find a way to go to the sphere. The reason I bring this up is one of the things that I like is when I'm wrong or when I admit things because I'm wrong sometimes. 
And sometimes I say things about people that are true in one aspect, but not in the other. I'm very critical of James Dolan for how he runs the Knicks, for his policies at the Garden, for all of the things he does that distract my favorite team from winning championships. It's been 50 years since the Knicks won a title. When the sphere was being built, I assumed it would be a failure. It was $1 billion over budget, and I made fun of Dolan for that fact. And then I went to the sphere, and James, people in your office watching this, hopefully they'll tell you, the sphere is the single most unbelievable arena I've ever seen. It is a technological masterpiece, a marvel of construction. The ingress, the egress, forgetting a few bottlenecks getting out, forgetting the fact that it was a fire hazard. You trained your people well, dealing with Vegas hotels and walking. It's, it's sort of attached to the Venetian. I understand why it was a billion over budget. It was worth every penny, whatever it costs to get in, because the experience of seeing you two at the Sphere, I will never forget. And I'm lucky enough to have been in a lot of events in a lot of stadiums and toured a lot of stadiums. I wanted a backstage tour very badly. I did not ask anyone for it. I just went as a normal guy, bought a ticket, experienced it normally. The sphere was incredible. Even with that day of travel, I still watch a movie every day. Even on a red eye, doesn't matter. I'm watching a movie. There's a new movie out. It's called Bottoms. Here's the concept. Fight Club for Women. That's it. It's that simple. It's a bunch of girls who get together in a school, coached by Marshawn Lynch, by the way. Yes, the football player is the advisor for this club. The woman who started is that woman from Shiva Baby and the Idol. Her name is, I can't remember, Rachel Sennett. And she partners with that woman from The Bear, the assistant chef, Ayo Adibari. And they get together because they're trying to impress other girls in the class because they want to date them. And they're trying to impress the quote unquote hot girls, one of whom is Kaya Gerber. Yes, that's Cynthia Crawford's daughter, an absolute lookalike to Cynthia Crawford. What a weird concept this movie is. I don't necessarily enjoy watching women fight, except the script and the concept fascinated me. Why is it that these girls think that this is the only way to get attention? What's the mentality that is needed in order for a girl to be comfortable with who she loves, who she is, and how to express that in a high school setting? It makes me so happy when I watch high school movies because I'm not in high school anymore, but I get brought back to that feeling. When you watch Bottoms, you'll want to cover your eyes, not because it's scary, because it will be like a mirror into your insecurities, how you used to feel and how sometimes you still do and you get upset that you do. I'd watch it, not a waste of time at all. If you have questions, go on davidsampsonpodcast.com and you can get to me there, or you can get to me on X at David P. Sampson Instagram. Thank you for following all of the social channels that we do. 
we appreciate you and for subscribing and for everything else. We have a segment called So You Want to Talk to Samson, and it comes with music. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to Samson. So that is the accompaniment that comes from the movie Half-Baked. And I'm doing this for the last week, 9.1% of you who are new to the show. So thank you. This segment is when you ask me a question and I answer it. And there's a character named Samson in the movie Half-Baked. Make sure you watch it. Go to Planet 13, get yourself 68, 69 spaked, and you got yourself an afternoon. What do you make of San Diego granting Bob Melvin permission to interview with a division rival? Looking forward to a great Monday show. Hashtag Ask Samson. I love the subject matter. I chose the question because I wanted to point out I prefer a salutation. Hey, David. Hello, David. How you doing? You feeling okay? And it's so you want to talk to Samson. But it's an important question. Now, if you're not familiar with what we're talking about, Bob Melvin is the manager of the most disappointing team of all time, tied with the Mets, and that both happened in 2023. The San Diego Padres signed and traded for everybody, built their payroll up to irresponsible levels, had a GM named AJ Preller who has gotten chance after chance to win and has never won anything and keeps his job. They brought in Bob Melvin, the great Oakland A's manager to manage the Padres. Credibility finally in the dugout. Finally, don't give Preller the ability to hire first time managers. You bring in a veteran, takes over that team and brings San Diego to the promised land. Except last season was an unmitigated disaster. The team stunk. Except their run differential would indicate that they should have been way better. It's sort of like the Marlins made the playoffs, the Padres didn't. The Marlins were great in one-run games with a negative run differential, and they're moving on from their GM. The Padres were positive in run differential, couldn't win a one-run game, and got hot at the end of the season, ended up with 82 wins and missed the playoffs. And then word was leaking out that there was a power struggle. The GM and the manager were not getting along. AJ Preller, the GM, was asked about this weeks ago after the season. And he said, from my standpoint, this is overblown. There are reports we don't speak, and of course we speak, four or five times a day. A quick nugget is that we've had a GM and a manager not get along. Of course you speak four or five times a day. You're holding your nose and crossing your fingers, and you're waiting to get out of the manager's office. Totally normal. That doesn't mean that you have a functioning front office. But Preller telling you that he and Melvin spoke four or five times a day as evidence that they're friends is horse hockey. Then Preller said, I don't know what all the talk is about. Bob's our manager. He's good. I'm good. We're all good. And then yesterday, in the middle of the postseason, with the San Francisco Giants trying to hire a new manager, having fired Gabe Kapler. 
who interviewed to be the GM of the Red Sox, which shows you what his involvement was in the various places that he's managed, Philadelphia and Frisco. But I digress. The Giants called up the Padres, and this is how it works. One GM to the next, you seek permission to interview an employee. And that permission has to be granted in writing when there is an employee under contract. Bob Melvin is under contract to manage the Padres. If the Giants would like permission, they need to submit and it needs to be approved in writing. And then you may go ahead and interview that employee. In the real world, you've already spoken to that employee. The San Francisco Giants are not asking the San Diego Padres for permission on Bob Melvin unless they're hiring Bob Melvin. They're not bringing in Bob Melvin to interview like a schnook, like a first timer. So tell me about your managerial style. Tell me what you would do in the following seven situations. Tell me, how do you work with front offices? Bob Melvin is going to manage the San Francisco Giants. When you grant permission to an employee to interview, that does not mean that you need to let that employee go if that employee gets offered the job. It's two separate things. The granting of permission is one thing, but then you get the negotiation on comp. When you want to bring in an executive or a manager who's under contract, and that team that has him lets him go, that team can ask for compensation. Then you negotiate like a trade. So the Giants and the Padres would have the following conversation. Hey, AJ, I really want Bob Melvin. No way, are you kidding? All right, he's making about two and a half million dollars. I'm making that up. You just have to pay him that. And then, do you want any compensation? And AJ Preller said, compensation? No, I'm so happy. This is the greatest plan ever. We're gonna let Bob Melvin go to you and we're gonna all look like it's fine that we're doing right by Bob Melvin. AJ Preller has to go to Peter Seidler, the owner of the Padres and say, hey, do you want our manager to get permission to interview and go to the Giants? And Peter Seidler says, well, I've chosen you in the power struggle. You win, AJ, and I am flabbergasted. How Peter Seidler is allowing AJ Preller to win the power struggle shocks me. There's gotta be something going on there. AJ Preller should not win that power struggle. I don't disagree that in the GM manager situation, I'm gonna go with the GM. Assuming that that GM is who I want to guide and navigate my team to greatness. And if I have evidence that my GM can't do it, or I have evidence that it's not my GM who does it, now we're on it, Coca. Maybe AJ Preller is not the actual GM of the Padres. Maybe somebody else is making all the decisions, which is why he never gets let go. That would make perfect sense. Why would you hire a guy who's just there? He's a figurehead. He's actually not doing a thing. <gasps> that must be it. It was Melvin doing everything. That's why they want to get rid of Melvin so badly and let him go to Frisco. GMAB, give me a break. 
letting Bob Melvin go to San Francisco is a bad, bad thing for the Padres to do. Choosing A.J. Preller over Bob Melvin is a mistake for the Padres. A latest in a long list of mistakes that have hurt that franchise. The San Francisco Giants are brilliant for giving Bob Melvin an opportunity to manage their team. Net win, Giants. What do I make of it, you asked? You got your answer. A lot of confusion last weekend, this past weekend, about something that happened in Michigan State. That was the game against Michigan. We covered that game in a funny way because Michigan suspended the guy who was the in-person scout, the rogue scout, and I told you what a bunch of ridiculousness that was. Oh, he's out there scouting and Harbaugh has no idea. Remember that game? And Michigan was favored by like 27 points and they beat Michigan State by 45 or 48 points. And that wasn't even the biggest story out of that game. I would like to give you just a little bit of insight into what happened. The Michigan State Spartans have fired an in-game entertainment company who they had used to help them with part of their program. Let me explain. In-game entertainment is like a run of show. You get a timeline. I would get a timeline as president of the team before every home game. When batting practices, when the grounds crew is making up the field, I would get a run of show for the Jumbotron, for the LED boards, everything that's going on pregame, when the first pitch is, when the anthem is, who's doing the anthem, when the person arrives who's doing the anthem, if it's a celebrity or a special star, where their green room is going to be, where they're going to enter. Then you've got your in-between inning after the first. We're doing the following. Then we're going to have the sea creature race. And then we're going to do the shell game. Then we're going to have our in-game in-stadium host who's going to do a where's the ball, give out a free shirt. It's all pre-done. Everything you see during a game has been approved. Everything you see during a game has been scripted. There's no surprises. It's not like people in the control room are talking during a game. All right, we're going into the top of the fifth. What should we do? All right, press that button. That's not how it works. It's a show, a scripted show. Michigan State would have you, would have you believe that they had no idea that as part of their scripted show, they do a quiz game. And one of the questions in the quiz game was where was Adolf Hitler born as a trivia question. And it was accompanied by a huge picture of Hitler that was put on the jumbotron. And it created quite the fury. And what happens as nothing personal fans, you know what happens when there's a fury. HCTS. It's my new acronym. Here come the statements. And boy, did they come fast and furious. They started immediately with a spokesman for Michigan State. That's when you're hoping it's just going to go away. 
you have the spokesman say it, a guy named Matt Larson, and you hope you don't have to get the athletic director involved. And then the athletic director hopes the president doesn't need to get involved. You just try to tourniquet it, get rid of it. So the spokesman comes out immediately and apologizes for the inappropriate content that was displayed in the hour before kickoff. And then they say, and this was where it got good, Michigan State University will not be using the third party source going forward and will implement stronger screening and approval procedures for all video board content in the future. Oh my God, what level of incompetence. What he's trying to have you believe at Michigan State, a Big Ten major program, is that they outsource this in-game entertainment moment of quiz questions, and they have no idea what's gonna be shown. And they're looking up at the board at the same time you are as the fan. They're saying, oh, hey, I'll guess the answer to that one. Do you wanna play the game? That's absolutely absurd. And it wasn't nearly good enough. So the athletic director had to make a statement. And the athletic director came out and said, anti-Semitism must be denounced. The image displayed prior to Saturday night's game is not representative of who we are and the culture we embody. Nevertheless, we must own our failures and accept responsibility. The employee responsible is suspended. They'll pay him, but he's suspended. They're investigating. And the athletic director had to admit that no one in the in-game entertainment department had viewed the entire video. That level of incompetence staggers me and I don't believe it. It is way more likely that they did watch the video that was going to play and didn't think anything of it. That's the scary part. That's the quiet part that Michigan State doesn't want to let you know. They want you to think that their people are incompetent not anti-Semitic or racist. All of which caused the third party vendor, this quiz channel CEO, creator, to make a statement. It's an absolutely normal trivia question shown in an inappropriate setting. It's from the quiz channel. It's a YouTube page. It's a thing that you can use and you can download. Let me conclude this and just tell, tell you something that I, I wanna make sure you don't give Michigan State the benefit of the doubt because they're gonna hear more about this because especially right now with what's going on in Israel and Gaza, the lack of sensitivity in putting a picture of Hitler up after what the Hamas terrorists have done and what it has caused going forward, the lack of understanding of what you should or should not be doing, it's not Larry Nasser level, same school, but it shows that people are not paying attention. So I close today begging people, you, the listeners, if you're watching this live, pay attention, that's all. Otherwise, 
you're going to have to deal with statements, suspensions, firings, embarrassments. Enjoy your day today. Two great baseball games coming up. Doubleheader starting at 5 o'clock Eastern. You got a Monday night game as well in football. Knowing NBA is tomorrow. What a great time of the month. It's just business. This is nothing personal. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.